0: And would you open up your Bibles to our text this morning, which is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1085, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Kids here, kindergarten to second grade, can be dismissed to children's church. Well, last Sunday, if you were here, you know, we finished a a year-long sermon series through the New Testament book of Hebrews, and in November, we're going to get in our spaceship and we're going to blast into orbit and we're going to study Revelation. So, you know, I've completely lost my mind and we're going to study the book of Revelation. But for the rest of this month, uh, as we said earlier when Tom was up here, this is our missions emphasis month. Uh, this is a whole sort of rest of this month. We put everything on pause in the church and focus on the task of world evangelization. And we have our missions banquet and we're raising funds for our missionaries. Um, but the theme this year is Here Am I, Send Me. We also want to think about our personal involvement in the task of world evangelization. It's not just supporting career missionaries who go out and do this, but but we as a church, I mean, all of us who are disciples of Jesus have been called by God to be a part of the task of bringing his word to the nations. And so the challenge this year is to think about how uh, how we engage with that at a personal level. Not just what our church is doing, but like how do I, as a follower of Jesus, get my hands around and uh, this command that Christ gives us. So I want to look at this text with you from Acts chapter 8 verses uh, 1 to 3. It's an interesting text. Maybe on the first reading, it doesn't really seem like a text related to the topic of missions. But, but the more you get into it, I think you'll find that it really speaks directly to missions, especially in the context of Acts. And it's a story in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, of the first church ever, the first church on planet Earth, the church in Jerusalem, and the persecution that hit this church. And I want to ask the question, why would God allow persecution and suffering not just to rattle a church, but to almost literally destroy a congregation when it's the only congregation on the face of the earth? Look with me at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Okay, let me just quickly set the historical stage. The year is somewhere in the mid-30s, perhaps A.D. Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised. He's gone to heaven. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. The church explodes in Jerusalem. Thousands come to faith in Jesus. The church is growing. It's doing really well. It's an amazing congregation. And then on this day, it says, on that day, suddenly a great persecution broke out against the church. So it goes from a really blessed church, and then in one day, a persecution breaks out that almost ruins, shatters, and destroys this church. On that day, it says in verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. On what day? Well, it was another first. That day was the day the first person was martyred for the name of Jesus. So here in Acts, we have a lot of firsts. we got the very first church ever, and we got the very first person giving up his life because he's standing up for Christ. Uh, that first martyr is, was named Stephen, the first martyr in the history of the church. And his story is actually, if you go back one chapter, Acts chapter 7. He's, Acts chapter 7 is basically his sermon. This guy launches into this sermon. He's preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem. And he's, he's sort of recounting the story of Israel down through the Old Testament. And, and everyone's cool with it until he finally gets to the Jesus part of the story. And then he sort of points at them a little bit. Well, more than that, look at verse 51 of chapter 7. He, this is how, when he finally gets to the Jesus part, he says, You stiff necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, in other words, Jesus. And now you've betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. So he's like, look, you guys killed Jesus and you're just like your forefathers who killed the prophets who predicted Jesus. Now, this is not typically a way to endear yourself to the audience. So uh, you can imagine their reaction. Verse 54, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. So what did he do? Well, he put gasoline on the fire. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. So he suddenly has a vision. And Jesus is standing at the right hand of God Look, he said, I I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, now he's just gone from being offensive in their minds to blasphemous. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. He dies just like Jesus died. Father, forgive them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them into prison. So in one day, this church in Jerusalem is, is flipped. In one day, it goes from being a thriving, successful, amazing church, and it becomes a persecuted, scattered, destroyed church. People are fleeing Jerusalem And it really, again, raises the question, why would God do this? If God is concerned for people growing in Christ, if God's concerned for people to come to know Jesus, here's a great church and literally the only church on the face of planet Earth. And God allows the hammer stroke of persecution to shatter this church and send the people scattering. Why would God do that? This is a great church. I mean, do you realize how good this church was? You know people read about the first church in Jerusalem, and they hold it up as kind of a model for what a church should be like uh, you know we 've all had good and bad experiences in the church, but you read acts and this was a great church. I mean it started with a bang. Remember how this church started? If you go back to Acts go back to Acts chapter two you know this this church started like with a meteoric rise. it was amazing. Um, the day of Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter, who's just a fisherman, you know, just go up to Gloucester, pick a fisherman, that's Peter. Suddenly he stands up and Peter's preaching to thousands of people. Like, where did he learn to preach? Where did he go to school? He didn't. But the power of the Holy Spirit comes on and he preaches. And it's effective. Look at the end of Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 36. I'm not going to read his whole sermon. I don't have time. But here's, here's like the conclusion of his sermon. Just like Stephen. He says, verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is risen, He is Lord. Turn to Jesus. And notice verse 37 when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do? We'd kill the Messiah. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. One sermon... Instant mega church. 3,000 people. Boom. You know, just add Holy Spirit. Just add water. Church is born. I mean, that's amazing. If you heard this week that on this Sunday, some guy preached somewhere here on the South Shore and 3,000 people were saved and started a church, I mean, you would be like, i got to go see that. I, I would be like, let's all go see that. Next Sunday, we're going to go see this church that went from zero to 3,000 in one sermon. Um But it wasn't just big. It wasn't just a numbers thing. This was a really amazing church. Look at chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is a description of the early church that typically when we preachers preach on it, hold it up as kind of a model for how the church should be. And rightly so. Look at verse 42. This is what was going on in that 3,000 person church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So you go in this church, what would you find? People studying the Word of God. People listening to the apostles. People praying. This was a praying church. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. There's miracles going on in the church. If you heard that 3,000 people got saved in one day and there's miracles going on in the church, I bet you wouldn't be here at Sasha Baptist. I bet I wouldn't be here at Sasha Baptist. <laughs> I'd be like, job application, do you need anyone there? I would love to be a part of that. Uh, that would be incredible. Just You would be drawn to this. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So they weren't just studying the Bible. They were living it out. And if someone in the church had a need, they were selling their possessions. Like I said, amazing congregation. What an incredible church. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They're fellowshipping. There's warm life. And ate together enjoying uh, glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And get this, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day people coming to faith. What a church. And it grew. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 4. Those who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about five thousand. So now you're up to about five thousand Christian men. It doesn't count the women and the children. And it continues to grow. God blesses the preaching. God gives them courage in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter five, even though they're persecuted, they continue to stand strong. God protects the church, he delivers the leaders. It grows so big, Acts chapter six, they gotta add staff. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they had this huge food program for poor widows. I mean, it was amazing. Verse 2, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the Word. The the leaders are like, we need to keep praying, we need to keep preaching, you need to minister in practical ways to these widows. So they set apart seven men. Look at verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose who? Stephen. That's the martyr. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And they chose six other guys. And then look at verse 7. The Word of God spread. Keeps going. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And even this, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The priests who were the gatekeepers of society are being brought into the faith. I mean, so, you know, we always talk about the church is kind of at the fringe of society and we need to influence the people who are at the the center of society. Well, this was happening. What an amazing church. An incredible church. Maybe no other church has ever been like this. I don't know. Certainly, at this point, the only church on the face of planet Earth. And in one day, the hammer stroke falls, and the church, this church, is shattered. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Why would this happen? Why would God do this. It just seems against what he's trying to accomplish. Isn't this what God wants to happen? Why would this happen to this church? It's just really baffling when you look at it in the context of what this church was like. Of course, raises the question in our own lives. You know, We ask this question all the time, why would God allow this to happen to me? We uh, have gone through different experiences in our personal lives of, of personal shattering where we had a dream or a hope or a plan. Or our health or our family has been shattered by something that's just kind of come careening into our lives. And we wonder, why, why is this happening? Why is this shattering and breaking taking place? I said we're going to study the book of Revelation next month. And really, you know, you know what Revelation's about? It's not a riddle book to like decipher what's going on in the newspapers. Revelation is fundamentally a book about Christians asking the question, why are we suffering persecution? And why are we struggling as Christians in this world? And Revelation kind of pulls back the screen to say, look, God is at work behind the scenes in the world. And so be encouraged. Uh, But this is a question we ask. Why is this happening? Why would God allow this persecution to happen to this church? It makes no sense until you read chapter 8, verse 4. What does it say in Acts chapter 8, verse 4? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. As they went into Judea, which is the territory surrounding Jerusalem, and into Samaria, which was the territory to the north, And it's amazing they even went to Samaria because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews considered the Samaritans kind of ethnic crossbreeds between Jew and Gentile. They, They had this wacky theology that the Jews didn't like. And so there was all kinds of tension. And yet the Christians went there too and they preached the Word of God. They preached about Jesus wherever they went. See, the church in Jerusalem was amazing. It was doing all these things right. But it had forgotten... The main thing, (laughs) you know, and we can do that. We can be good. So many things right in our lives, but it's so easy to forget the main thing. And the main thing that Jesus had told them was, if you're my disciples, the mission I'm giving you is to go into the world and preach the gospel and tell others about me. Look back at Acts chapter one, verse eight, since we're kind of surveying acts a bit here. Look at Acts chapter one. Actually, we'll go to verse six. So this is, now we're going, jumping back before Jesus goes to heaven. This is when Jesus is still with them. Before the church is launched. Before the day of Pentecost. Jesus is raised from the dead. And so now, Acts chapter 1 verse 6. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of, to Israel? So you know, they're in kind of like revelation mode. What's going to happen next? What's the future? When's the end going to come? And Jesus says, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his authority. Stop worrying about that. You've got a job to do right now. Don't worry about the future. Look at the present, Jesus says. And look what he tells them to do. Verse 8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice three things. First of all, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come. That's what's going to enable Peter, just a regular fisherman, to stand up and preach. The power of the Spirit's coming. That's on the day of Pentecost. Number two, you'll be my witnesses. Your job is to go out and tell people, Jesus is risen. Jesus is the Savior. He was crucified, buried, and raised. Go out and tell that message. We are His witnesses today. If you're a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, that's what a Christian is. then then we're His witnesses. We're the ones who go out and say, look what Jesus did to tell people what the Bible says, to tell people from our own lives what Christ has done for us. And notice the power of the Holy Spirit coming down empowers the witnessing. I think sometimes when we as Christians start talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, what does the Holy Spirit do? We instantly jump to issues of speaking in tongues and prophesying. and You know, that's interesting, but it's not the center of what the Spirit does. The Spirit's primary job is to empower the Gospel both empower our speaking of it and to empower people to hear it and to actually believe it. You know, how else can Peter stand up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to faith? Is it because Peter was a practiced orator who had been studying, you know, homiletics in Athens, speaking in the Areopagus, you know, debating with the philosophers? He's just a fisherman. You know, And suddenly people are saved. Why? The power of the Holy Spirit was there. But now notice the third thing. Holy Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses. But notice where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice the outward moving concentric circles. There's Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the area around Jerusalem, and then where? The ends of the earth. So this is sort of this kind of exploding outward movement of the gospel that is predicted, that's still going on today. You know, the gospel's still moving to the ends of the earth. The good news of Jesus is spreading like wildfire around the world. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way in New England, but if you go to Latin America, Asia, the Middle East, um, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, it's amazing the, the speed at which what Jesus is saying is coming true. His Gospel is going. The churches are spreading out. That's His mission. And so that really, chapter 8, is kind of a table of contents for the book of Acts. You can actually follow the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes to Judea and Samaria, and then chapters 9 and 10, it goes out to the ends of the earth. Now, that phrase should sound familiar to you by now. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Doesn't that sound familiar? Go back to chapter 8, verse 1. The mystery passage. Why would God allow this persecution? On that day, a great persecution broke out of the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You know, that should be like a flag. That's a literary flag: Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So, so what's going on here? God is allowing the persecution of the, this amazing church in Jerusalem, a wonderful church, a model church, the only church on the face of the earth, because they had forgotten the main thing, which was that the gospel needed to go to the nations. And so God, you know, uh, he sends them out, and all these disciples. It says all the disciples were scattered. I mean, we've got to be talking thousands of people. If there were at least 5,000 men in the church, I mean, I don't know how many went out, but it's got to be thousands thousands flooding into the neighborhoods and the villages around could you see it you know people are in their villages working away brushing out the front step or whatever and and this little like pack of people comes into town with mules and their kids and they look like they're they just kind of threw everything together and ran out of town they're like what are you guys doing here where are you from oh we're from jerusalem you got any place we can stay well yeah you can stay with us but why are you leaving jerusalem oh it's bad there what the romans no 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 uh, well, we're Christians, and, and we got run out of Jerusalem. You're Christians? What does that mean? Well, do you remember Jesus? Oh, yeah, he came through our town. Well, blah, 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 blah. And there's the story. They're preaching about Jesus. Like you could just see it naturally happening as these refugees flee into the surrounding countryside. Um, you know, God in one day started an involuntary mission sending program from the church in Jerusalem. <laughs> And there was no missions committee. There was no missions budget. There were no special speakers. They had no thermometer. And I can't believe this. They didn't even have a banquet. I don't understand. <laughs> How do you do missions without food? I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't fit my paradigm. Just in one day, the missions, boom, as God sends them out in an involuntary mission sending program because they had forgotten... The focus. They had forgotten to take their their vision and lift it up to all the nations to see that Christ needs to be proclaimed to the nations. Why would God allow the only church on the face of the earth to be practically destroyed? Answer. Because it's the only church on the face of the earth. And that's not God's plan. His plan is for all nations, all peoples, to be reached. God is a great God. Jesus is the Savior, not just of the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. Christ died for the sins of the world so that all people could hear about Him. You know, I don't know how many Jews there are here. My guess is we're mostly Gentiles. You know, Some of us here are from Asia. I see some Asian brothers and sisters. A lot of us are here kind of European mutts. Uh, you know? Some of us come, you know, have roots from Africa. Think about it. The Gospel has reached us. It has gone out into the world. And you look at... Boy, I wish we could do a whole Sunday school series tracking the theme of the Gospel to the nations from the Old Testament. You can start in the Old Testament and trace this plan forward. You go back to Father Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ, and God makes this promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to take care of you. And the final part of the promise to Abraham is all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. year. You jump forward to the the mid-8th century B.C. to Isaiah. Isaiah is prophesying that the servant of God will come and he will not only reach Israel, but that he keeps saying he'll be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, Isaiah prophesies that the nations will say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go up to learn about the Lord. And so there's this hope in the Old Testament that, that what God had done for Israel in making them His people would someday... It explode outward to all the nations on earth. And so finally Jesus comes. He's the servant of Isaiah. He's the prophesied one in Abraham's promise. And Jesus comes and now He says, I've died for sins. I've rose again. Go. Go to all the nations. That's the command. And they had lost sight of that. And so Jesus sends them out. I mean, look at the book of Revelation. Talk about Revelation. Put a bookmark here. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Last book of the Bible. The strange and mysterious book of Revelation. It's really not that strange. Here's a vision. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John has a vision of the final state of the Christians with God. What's it going to look like? Verse 9 of chapter 7, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I'll tell you what, this is a United Nations that works. God bringing the nations together under the King, Christ. See, Jesus is so awesome. He is so great that, that He needs to be worshipped and savored by all peoples. He's the hope of the nations. He, he's not just you know, one religion or one belief or one people's God. He rose to save mankind. This is what He claimed. He's the only guy who's ever risen again. And He's the Lord. And, and so we should have a burden that, that the greatness of Jesus be proclaimed to the nations and that that we would see all people savor Christ. You, you know, we, we care about all these uh, concerns about all the, the problems in the world, but do we care about the biggest problem in the world? That people be reconciled to God. And so we want people to savor Christ and to know Christ. This was God's plan for all nations to come to Him. Somehow the Jerusalem church lost sight of it. And so God had give them a nudge and get it going again. I wonder if God has to give us a nudge. Or can we just get this and commit to it? Sometimes I wonder, you know, am I just so complacent? Am I just so focused? I'm so comfortable in my life. I'm so comfortable with my church. I love this church. It's great. You know, God's blessing our church go downstairs, we've got the initial sketches of the building thing for you to look at and give feedback on. That's exciting. I'm pro that. But I just wonder, like, am I so comfortable with, with my friends and the people I talk to in my life? Is my life so sort of structured and safe and in a box that's managed and well uh, scheduled and proportioned that, that I, I have lost just that crazy passion to say Christ needs to be known among the nations? And am I going to wait until God has to drop the hammer (laughs) to send me out and to shake me up? You know, we wonder, why is this happening to me, God? We go through struggles in our personal lives. I can't explain to you why God does everything he does. I can't even begin to understand all the mysteries of providence. But I can tell you this. Whenever something's happening in our lives that's difficult as Christians, you know for certain there are at least two things God is doing. One, he's refining us more into the image of Jesus, to trust Jesus. That's always going on. He wants us to follow Christ and be like Christ. Number two, God has a mission for the nations to be reached with the Gospel. And He wants to use us to do it. And sometimes He has to shake up our priorities and our values to get us to see things His way. To even use the things we're going through as a launching pad for ministering the Gospel to others. So God is working. He has a purpose. And it's about aligning ourselves with that purpose. What does God have to do to get us going outward? You know, we're we're so comfortable in our Bible study groups that we've been in for so long, but what about going out and starting a new group with new people? You know, just that outward look that Christ calls us to. I I experienced this kind of scattering this summer. Um, Some of you know, this summer I went on a mission trip to Macedonia uh, to go preach there for about 10 days. And it was a great trip. I went with my buddy, Mark Jennings, my wife, his wife. But for some, many of you know Mark Jennings. He preached here several years ago for a summer. And just a really gifted preacher. He's, he's working on his Ph.D. at New Testament in um, the University of Marquette. So he's doing that right now. So it was great. And we're going to go together and we're going to teach in Macedonia. And it, we were looking forward to it because it's kind of like, you know, reunion. Two, two buddies going to preach the Bible together. But we were like, oh, it's going to be fun. We're going to hang out together. and go on this trip together. I, t- I kid you not, we get off the plane I walk out with my bags. I meet our host. He's like, hi, nice to see you. Glad you're here. He says, so here's the deal. You're going to Macedonia, Jeremy, with your wife, and Mark and his wife are going to Bulgaria for the entire trip. We're like, what? You're like, what? Like, is Bulgaria, is that like another town in Macedonia, near where I am? or? <laughs> do you mean like Bulgaria, the other nation, Bulgaria? You know. So, and, and Mark, you know, he, his, his bags were late, and he gets off. I'm like, dude, dude. <laughs> Like, you're going to Bulgaria. He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, the whole time. He's like, "Ah!" you know, we're both like, "Ah!" so (laughs) it was a gut check. Why was I there? What was I there for? You know, I had this vision in my mind, comfortable, fun, ministry, but hanging out with my friend. But it's like God is going, no, 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 no. There's a bigger job here than you guys having a little personal reunion. Jeremy, the gospel's needed in Macedonia. Mark, the gospel's needed in Bulgaria. Go, go. And it was definitely one of those shattering things. I have to say, it worked out perfectly. God knew what He was doing. Am I surprised? But it it worked out amazingly well. What is God going to need to do to send us out? Do we have to wait for Him to shatter us and to do things? Or are we, as a church and as individuals, going to keep before us the main mission, which is the Gospel to the nations? And so this this is our conference theme this year. Here are my... Send me. You know, you got all these fish swimming this way, part of the thing, and then these are the fish going the other way, who are like, I'm willing to go wherever you send us. That's what the graphics represent. Here am I, send me. And I think that's the question I want to raise to you, and the challenge I want to give you and myself this morning is to find that that place in our hearts where we again say, Lord, here am I, send me. Our, our goal this year is not just to raise funds for missionaries but to just kind of rekindle that, that posture in the soul that says, God, whatever, wherever you want. If it's here, great. If it's somewhere else, great. But Lord, I want to be a part of this, this global mission. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Um, and we're, we're as a church We're kind of coming up The missions committee is coming up With some ways to do that Like this year we're going to have Like five short term mission trips Maybe that's what you do Maybe you go on a short term mission trip Maybe you're like I'm not even there yet I just need to learn about missions I still don't get it We're going to have some classes on missions Maybe that's your first step I'm just going to take a class Or maybe you know you want to join us On our uh, Every fourth uh, Sunday of the month We gather in the evening to pray Just for our missionaries Maybe that's like your First step into the waters you know, I don't know what it is and the goal here really isn't to, to even programatize this, but it's more just to challenge us as a church to lift up our vision and see the glory of Jesus in His Gospel and the need for the nations to come to Christ. And then to say, here am I, send me. What do you want me to do? Uh, you know, this is an amazing world we live in. You don't even have to go across the sea to, to meet the nations, to meet other cultures. People are coming here. I mean, The world is all changed. From what it used to be. There's a brother I met in the church um, just recently and he invited me over to his house this week. So I said, oh, come over. So I went over to his house to have dinner and he's new to the church. He's from Iran and he's immigrated here. He came here. He was a Muslim. He met Jesus and now he's following Christ and he said, come over and meet my family. So I went over to his house. It's in the town where I live, like four minutes from my house. So I go to his house. He has this nice big house. His whole family, extended family lives there. He said, that's Middle Eastern style. And they're all Persian, they all speak Farsi, they're all from Iran, and they're all Muslim, and, and he's there as a Christian, and he's just loving his family and being with them. And uh, so they, I go there, they make this huge Persian meal. I mean, I had my own little personal missions banquet, friends, and it was <laughs> real good. It was cool. And I'm like, you know, I just went away like, wow, right here in my town is, are the nations. You know, Iran very closed right now because of the regime that's in control. to Christianity or any other belief system going in. You know, closed all kinds of freedoms there. And yet here's people they're right in my town, like, like literally four minute drive from my house. And I think if we just open up our eyes, there's opportunities like that around us. But to take advantage of those opportunities, I have to have the right mindset of saying like, here am I, send me. And especially those, those cross the boundaries kind of things where it's a different language, different culture, different religious system, to be able to just walk in and just engage people as human beings and reach out to them. Here am I. Send me. This is my prayer that we would get this heart. Because, you know, this is the heart. This is the heart of Jesus. The greatest mission trip in the Bible. There was a great short-term mission trip in the Bible. And it was when Jesus went from heaven to earth to save us. Short-term trip lasted 33 years. He came here. He, he acclimated Himself to our broken culture from the hallelujahs of heaven to the, the cursing and nastiness of planet earth. From the glory of heaven to the, the mundaneness of our life. And He identified with us so much that on the cross... He took our guilt upon Himself in order to save us. So, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus and bear His name, we have to be a missionary-minded people because we serve a missionary-minded Savior who came to save us. And so that's my prayer for us. And my prayer for you is that this week, this week, here's your assignment. Jo- your assignment. I'll give you homework. I want you to, every day, spend a few minutes in prayer to just lay your heart before God and say, God, here am I. Send me. Lord, change my heart, change my mind, change my outlook. I don't even know what that's going to mean, but Lord, use me as part of what you're doing in the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just worship you as the Savior of all mankind, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Lord, you are the Savior of all men. We thank You that salvation has been purchased for a people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation. God, we do pray that uh, You would give us as a church an outlook that resonates with Your heart to see the Gospel go to the nations. Thank You, Lord, for South Shore Baptist. Thank You for how You're blessing it. Thank You for the growth that's here, for the life, the health. Thank You that we can even contemplate a building project. But Lord, we pray that, that in the midst of all of this that we would keep over and above that Your mission to us as our central mission, Lord, that we would have a heart for the gospel and for the nations. And so, Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Here we are, Lord. Send us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Just stand and let's sing one more song together before we.